okay? <laughs> Look at you! Ship all banged up! Who's the man? Huh? Who's the man? Wait till I get another plane! I'm lighting all your friends up right beside you! Where you at, huh? Huh? Where you at? That was Captain Steve Hiller, played by Will Smith, greeting an evil alien race that's trying to destroy our planet in 1996's cheesy blockbuster, Independence Day. This week, we review another close encounter in Jordan Peele's new horror movie, Nope. Please be aware, this is our first ever spoiler review, so if you haven't seen Nope yet and don't want to have what happens ruined by us, then please go watch it and come back and listen afterwards. You've been warned. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. And films are better than people. I'm Sam. And I'm Lawrence. You know, this was supposed to be my weekend off. But no. You got me out here dragging your heavy ass through the burning desert with your dreadlocks sticking out the back of my parachute. You gotta come down here with an attitude. Packing all big and bad. And what the hell is that smell? I could have been at a barbecue. But I ain't mad. It's all right. That is all right. So this week we watched Nope, directed by Jordan Peele, which is in cinemas now. Now this week we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we decided to actually make this a spoiler review. So if you really don't want to be spoiled for Nope, go and watch Nope, then come back and listen to this. But we kind of decided, didn't we, that uh, actually to to give a proper review of, of something like this, it's just so much easier and it's just going to make such a better podcast if we can just talk about the whole bloody story yeah we we can't dance around the spoilers basically yeah uh, i wish we were talented enough to do that <laughs> but no we're not so um go watch the film come back and listen to us <laughs> which is what you should be doing all the time anyway that's why i thought everyone was doing always listen to us on on every film we we review taking our word as gospel check your ego out of the room before you come back <laughs> okay so uh sam's gonna tell you the plot yes i am so OJ and Emerald are brother and sister who run a horse ranch in rural America. One night, OJ witnesses what he thinks is a UFO flying under the California clouds and by CCTV to capture this sighting. As he and Emerald try to be the first people to film an alien life force, they realise that there is something predatory, dangerous, and very, very scary about this unknown species. Or, as a haiku, saucers in the sky. Opportunity... For fame, gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, that sounds like a David Bowie song, actually. (laughs) Ah, saucers in the sky, opportunity for fame. But no, it does, it does. I mean, I'd I'd mock you on your impression. Gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, Yeah, so I think that's probably a good sign for your haikus that they're turning into... Perhaps like David Bowie covers. They are. You'd mock me on my Bowie impression, but it was spot on. 
God, I'm bringing a lot of ego into this into this episode. Yeah, I think what again, while you go out, check your ego at the door. Um, we'll listen to a clip from Nope, and then you'll come back in a bit more humble. Well, that's me told. Holy shit, it's real. Okay, uh, tell me when you see it. Do that cloud does more. There's something out here. What did you see? That's big. And it's too quiet to be a plane. Are you saying what I think you're saying? So Jordan Peele returns, the once comedian who's made successful satirical horrors like Get Out, Us, and now Nope, uh, he's back. I mean, what, what did you think of those previous ones that he made? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got the Midas touch when it comes to, to horror films, really, or sort of mystery films, I guess we'd say. There's kind of a bit of a horror-sci-fi hybrid with, with some of them. But yeah, I think um, I really like Get Out. It's one of the best films that I saw that year, um, I was less hot on Us just because I felt it had a few mixed metaphors uh, that didn't really take away from the from the spectacle and the feeling. And it's certainly so much more intelligent and cutting edge than so many horror films that you'd see. Um, so I was really looking forward to this. I was really really hyped for it. Yeah. So what did you think? How did it how did it rank? I had a similar feeling to when I came out of Us in that I felt I had to deconstruct quite a lot of it while I felt Get Out was a little bit more honed and a bit more streamlined and, and I could understand the subtext a little bit more in it. Um, again, that's not saying that Us was a bad film, far, far from it. But I just felt it was just e- easier to digest what was going on in Get Out and with Us and Nope, I felt that there was a lot to unpack from it, um, which obviously we're going to be able to do in this podcast because we can spoil it. Way, way, free. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into it. But before that, have you got a summary for it? What were your initial I mean, feelings? I mean, I think it was amazing. I think it was amazing. I actually preferred us to get out. And I don't know which one I like more, Nope or, or Us. I think he's becoming one of the most reliable auteurs in cinema. It's really ambitious in its way because there's lots of layers to it. You, you can go and enjoy it as a kind of sci-fi horror and it's really effective at the, at the core elements of that. But there's also lots of things going on, and you don't always see them at first. It, it really is an incredibly imaginative and creative take on something that is actually quite familiar. And the way it does that, it presents all these things that at first you're kind of like, I don't know why this is really related. And it's then, a slow burn. It's, it's a, a slow, slow burn. It, it, yeah, but, well I mean, but it's it. not a slow film. It's not a slow film. But I mean, it's it, mm. it's when you look compared, back at I it. I think compared to some horror films, it is. I feel like some horror films, obviously, I think they want to make the whole experience really unnerving. So within the first five minutes, you're trying to be made to feel uncomfortable by the director. I think with, uh, with all his films... Uh, Jordan Peele yeah. there's a sense that he needs to sort of break down characters or he needs to introduce certain messages uh, before we really really get going but when we do get going it's really exhilarating yeah and I think it's got lots of frills I think it's ripe for analysis and picking apart but you don't have to do that to enjoy it 
and in some ways that could make it his most successful film arguably it's a really great clever horror that um, a bit like the film's monster isn't what it actually first appears to be and ends up revealing itself as something else yeah sure um, shall, I, we, shall we just jump into the story why not um and then the, it starts with a chimpanzee eating people yes it does <laughs> within the world of the film there's a sitcom with a called Gordy's home and the, the you know the titular chimpanzee Gordy is startled by a balloon on set one day goes on a rampage and kills one of the cast members and maims another and one of the characters is like a child actor that witnesses this all unfold a character that then returns later in the, the film exactly then returns later in the film and it's a really good example of something that actually makes more sense when you look back at it in the end the big twist of the film is that there is this ufo that the haywards are hunting but it turns out it's not a ufo at all it's actually a creature that, that happens to look like what everything we we think is a ufo it's a big old beast it's a big old beast and it's uh, more akin to a jellyfish or something and it's not actually oh a- i thought a moth or a moth. I thought it looked like a like a big moth. Because it's not abducting people at all, it's eating them and digesting them. And spits back out all the <laughs> non-human stuff, exactly. or non-animal stuff. Exactly. And that doesn't change their mission, because they still want to film it, but it's suddenly a thousand times more terrifying and threatening. You, you know, it appears as a UFO, but has several other forms, like it can hide itself as a cloud... And then its true form, as it unfurls itself, is like some kind of... I mean, it could be a moth, could be a jellyfish, but it's this really unnerving creature because it has no distinctive features. Like, it has a mouth, but it's just like a giant gaping hole. But it has no eyes or no skin pigment, really, or anything like that. And that just makes it quite terrifying. I, I find something like that quite terrifying. There's no sense of if there's an emotion or an intelligence to it or what it's really doing. But, I mean, essentially, it's it's a predator, and it's feeding on people, and it's incredibly powerful. I mean, maybe we should touch on the on the visual design, actually, because I thought that was pretty amazing. Cause obviously it's incredible. It's, it starts off as, like, a yeah, saucer in the sky. But then the closer that you get to it, you realise that it's some sort of... I guess it's more like a bird, really. Or, you know, the way that you obviously a saucer is circular. That's kind of its wings, and that's how it flies about, and how... It's almost like there's there's no sound to it. It doesn't no. make any noise. Which is also which, frightening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, silence is scarier than sound, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and and that's that's really, really cool. But then towards the end of the film, uh, they damage it, and it kind of loses its shape a little bit. And yeah. so you then start to see it sort of true composition or i've heard a lot of people compare it to what a biblical angel might look like and there's a suggestion i mean we don't really know its origins by the end of the film but yeah it's great it's it's really scary but there's lots of theories about how it flies you know that i've read on the internet because it disrupts electrical activity wherever it goes so anything electrical normal things that you could record on or or a phone or something like that uh, it disrupts and so maybe it's flying with electrical power. That's also the other thing about this, is that some of this stuff only makes sense also if you, not just if you look back on it, but if you read analysis about it, which as, you know, an aspiring film critic, I love that because it's hopefully keeping me in a job, or at least in whatever you call this. A, a mm, but podcast. is that good for an audience? <laughs> is, is that good for well, an audience that you actually have to do a lot of reading think... around it? Because actually I'd say this is a bit of a criticism of mine. That actually I think it uses lots of interesting subtext and something that perhaps we'll talk about in the next few minutes. But also at the same time, you are left a bit sort of dumbfounded by it. 
and, and trying to find out exactly what it means and what parts of the film link to it. I mean, I, I like the idea of starting off with this, this chimpanzee sort of going wild and then this idea about sort of nature versus man and predators versus prey and where do we, where do humans belong in, in that sort of ecosystem and where do we belong with these alien life forces. Uh, but at the same time, I, I kind of felt, well, I'm enjoying this experience, but I can imagine someone else watching this and feeling like it's a little bit disconnected. It, well, I completely disagree. I mean, I don't think this is disconnected at all. I think actually a lot of this stuff does make sense. Yes, okay, I'm, I'm going to... After your further reading. After my further reading, yes, after, I'm going to open it. After you cheated. No, not cheating, all right? It's not cheating, all right? It, it takes a great level of intellectual strength to admit that you like to listen to other people and take. And if their opinions make sense, if they're convincing in their arguments, then then I agree with it. And Too I much think time on your film. hands, that's what I say. <laughs> just doing my research, okay? But that's just what I'm doing. Just copying stuff from better people. No, not copying stuff from better people. I'm not going to specify. First of all, there's lots of stuff in here that's my own thoughts, but I'm not going to tell you which ones. <laughs> so you're not going to be able to tell, okay? Look, this isn't like. All right, give me an original thought. Give me an original the... like metaphor or piece of subtext. You know, we, well, I've mentioned about like the political and social messages that are in there. Well, is, is there anything that you think? that Jordan Peele's trying to say directly, or what, what is he exactly trying to explore? Well, I mean, this is... The, the, you've touched on what I think is really clever about the film, which is Nope isn't really a sci-fi film. Well, it is a sci-fi film, right? It's actually a film that's that's actually all about man versus nature, that's masquerading as a film about a UFO. That's what it's all about, right? Because the the, the presence of, of Gordy, this, this chimpanzee that, that goes crazy, they can't control this chimp when it goes wild. They think it's cute, and but then this child actor who survives the attack and maybe even feels like because he survived and because he actually got close to the chimp before it was killed it feels like he's got a connection to nature feels like he can read a predator or that he'll have some connection with this new predator right but he doesn't actually someone more like who Daniel Kaluuya plays OJ the brother at Haywood has a better understanding of this predator because he's around animals all the time. Mm. He's far more able to control this thing because he has a respect for his horses but understands that they can be dangerous as well. And that's something that really society never <laughs> has a really hard time e- equating those two things. That thing that nature can be controlled and yes commodified yes that's exactly what i was going to say interestingly in gordy's home the chimpanzee gordy is commodified and then it enacts rage and then in the same thing kind of happens with this alien life force i mean and that treats it as like a bit of a commodity and uh yeah he ends up being killed and that's another thing about it i mean i I think the the thing that's actually quite funny about this looking back on it is that everyone's immediately trying to commodify the UFO. Everyone's trying to make a quick buck. That's what I think part of what Peel is trying to say with this film as well, is that the first instinct of everyone that ever gets in contact with that UFO is to try and make money off of it. And even with all the the many, many hundreds of thousands of, of cautionary tales out there, we as a society have still never really managed to balance out this instinct of when I see something, I can jump on it. And I, I can get to that mansion that I've secretly wanted my entire life. I can quickly become someone very rich and famous, having this massive thing of status of it. And that 
<laughs> time and time again, whether it's with, you know, Siegfried and Roy, as referenced in the film, trying to tame a tiger that in the end turned on them, or with the internet, ends up biting most people in the arse when they try and make a quick buck off of it. And I think that's what one of the things he's kind of commenting on. And actually, that's what happens with uh, Emerald and OJ, because obviously I think M is trying to get into Hollywood. She has aspirations away from the, the ranch that her and her brother have. Yes, yeah, she does. Uh, and OJ, at first, yeah, he, he wants to make a quick buck of this alien life force, and obviously I don't think it's at that point they realise what sort of danger they're in. I think as well, like, coming back to Duke, who's the originally the kid that witnesses the, the chimp attack, when he's asked about the the, the, the chimp, it's, it's really... It's, again, it's one of these weird things in the film that you're like, I don't know why we're seeing this from this character. But he takes them into a room and shows them all the stuff linked with Gordy's home and this sitcom. And, and he's really proud of all the different things. Talks about how much money people will pay to come and see this. He describes the incident not as a traumatised person regaling this horrible thing that happened to him. But he, he describes the, the Saturday Night Live sketch that they did to parody the incident or a bit of commentary on this incident and he's going on and on about the how great the actors in in snl are and it's it's utterly bizarre but what you're seeing is someone that has pushed down their this trauma because they kind of see the dollar green signs and the fame that they get from it and it's very very bizarre but it is is ultimately what is driving this character i think that he thinks that he can tame nature but he doesn't really respect it. He doesn't really think there's a spiritual thing. He sees it as an opportunity. And they all do. Yeah, he doesn't really learn his lesson. I think uh, the character of Droop is really well juxtapositioned with the character of Antlers Holst, who uh, Michael Wincott plays. Now, Mike, obviously, Michael Wincott was a bit of a cult actor. Always great to see Michael Wincott in something. Yeah, I, I, could, I could watch him read the dictionary. He's okay. got an amazing gravelly voice. He's um, got this natural kind of brooding intensity, yes. which which fits his character in this really well. Yeah, huge brooder. Um, but what's interesting is that he plays a cinematographer that uh, OJ and M meet on a set, and they try to get him in to shoot the alien through film, because obviously digital won't work filming this alien. Yeah. If they get a cinematographer in to film the alien, then that camera won't go bust. They'll be able to actually get it in footage. What's interesting that happens to him is he chooses to die, but he'll get the perfect shot. So there's this sense with him in that he doesn't want to be famous. He doesn't want to commodify uh, any of this uh, alien stuff. Yeah. And that he's willing to <laughs> not quite sacrifice his own life, but he's willing to die knowing that he's got the the greatest shot that anyone's ever got that's ever lived. And there's sort of something very artistic about that. Yeah, I, and I kind of loved that vision of an artist who was... Because he was, he was just obsessively watching these nature videos over and over. Again, another thing that you're kind of... Fault. What's this got to do with it? What's yeah. this got to do with it? And then you realise, yeah, because he's he's obsessive man versus nature. And that's what's happening in this film over and over again. And that's why he becomes obsessed with, with doing this. And this incredible picture of an artist willing to do anything in order to get that perfect shot. But at the same time, is there is that also about the madness of this? Is that it's not always about money. And maybe it's not always about status. Maybe it's about something else. Maybe there's a really foolish 
pride in throwing yourself into the jaws of the beast for something artistic. I mean, <laughs> there's something I kind of admire about someone about someone willing to do that. It's not arrogant or superficial in the same way that the other characters are kind of doing stuff, but it's still got a certain level of arrogance. And I, again, that's what this thing is all about. Weirdly, it's the second time he's played an obsessed film director. Oh yeah, what was the other one? It, it was in a movie called What Just Happened, which nobody really watched, which was with Robert De Niro. I also thought like Daniel Kaluuya was great in this, and Kiki Palmer as well. I think they both formed like two halves of, of this partnership really well. One really extroverted in Emerald the Sister, one really introverted in OJ. But he's sort of that makes him much more better at handling animals, as we talked about earlier. Love the score as well. He Peel always loves using like simple strings and piano, and that always kind of emphasizes these following this horror tradition, which is which is really great i think it's a really neat nod i mean i love this i think that we've talked a lot about like why this stuff is here and does it feel too disjointed or does it really make sense without like doing some reading okay but it's not like bloody tenet or anything it does actually but that's going from one extreme to the other i think that's too of an easy get out i no, do i do, no, i do think if you go see this film and you're thinking it's going to be a, a horror film with aliens in it then you might be a little bit disappointed i don't think you're going to get that adrenaline rush that yes, you were hoping you are. for. I think, yeah, of course you are. Definitely you are. Those The chase sequences at the end, Peel still can make classic horror stuff. And no, that's, but I'm... <sighs> it's, still, it's a really exciting film. It's got a, what, that wonderful yeah, but finale. Yeah, exci- exciting isn't the same. I don't think that's what all horror fans want. I think they do want a sense of dread. And I just don't think you get this in it. I think there is like a level of excitement and there is sort of thrilling aspects to it. But I just don't think it's a conventional horror film. But yeah, and, that's, and that is a good thing. That is a good, that is, is a good is... thing. That is a good thing. But also, I think certain mainstream audiences or people thinking that they might be going to see something slightly a bit more terrifying or something that will or freak them out. It's it's just not going to happen. I I completely disagree. Jean Jacket is really terrifying, and I think it's really thrilling. And it's got Jean lo- Jacket's the alien, by the way. Jean Jacket is the alien. They kind of name it after a horse. I I think Jean Jacket's terrifying. I think it's got lots of thrills. And you walk in with one thing, and it feels like it's going to be a UFO film. It ends up being a kind of, uh, you know, I, I think it's still f- a horror film and thrilling, but I think it, and still got all the elements of that, but it's got something richer underneath. It's actually a, a film all about man versus nature. And I love all the ideas in it. It's got some great performances and great technique going on throughout. This is a film where you actually, because of all the, the pieces dotted around, I couldn't string it together right away it's only as you start to get towards the finale that you can see everything and feel everything and understand everything and that's really unusual to actually not really know where this is going and that just makes you so much more invested in this in this great finale and everything i mean i think this is a a, a, another real winner from jordan peele i think this is a, a a really excellent very rich dark funny satirical piece of cinema that leaves you with something really unexpected but if there's no further reading on um no <laughs> but no i think uh, i think what you've described is, is an example of a really talented filmmaker that yeah you perhaps aren't really sure what you're letting yourself in for and then towards that finale you do get the the bigger understanding and there is more clarity and i think that is incredibly clever um i'm actually going to compare it to the shining as well which um, obviously it's got in terms of the story, in terms of, in terms of the feel and the tone, it's got nothing to do with The Shining. But actually, I think The Shining is one of those horror films 
where it's got so many theories and there are sort of lots of essays and lots of videos now and there's even documentaries made on what The Shining actually means what it stands for and you can read it in so many different ways and I think that's what's really good about Jordan Peele's films I think they are flawed in that way as well especially with us and this you come out and you think there's a lot of different metaphors in this and I enjoyed working through some of the subtext but then also I'm just not quite convinced that it's fully laid out um, and that's what I really liked about uh, Get Out. But yeah, it's just so incredibly intelligent. And we didn't really touch on the visual effects. We talked about the design, but but the visual effects are, are really well executed too. So yeah, I just think it's one of those horror films where I don't think it's particularly scary, but you are going to go in and you're going to have like a real appreciation of the genre and actually a film that tries to do something a little bit different with it and yeah, I really hope as many people go to see it as possible. That is not the conclusion I was expecting from you. Since you, since you kind of said that you didn't really like, I thought you didn't really like it because I didn't two. say I didn't like it. But it, then it was because it was. But you didn't like the fact that it was too like it, it was too difficult to understand. No, and too disjointed. it's not that I didn't like it. I just feel that that's kind of that that was quite that was a heavy part of it. The sense that they were, that he was trying to go in so many different directions, and I think there is a lot that you can unpack from it. I think it's just having like a really really heavy meal. Going back to food metaphors, that I think we've used on here before. It, it took a lot to stomach it. And, you know, I got a bit of a headache afterwards, but after after it has digested, you, you're fully appreciative of it. I think other audiences will not be. It depends what you're looking for. That's fair enough. Appropriate on to end on a food metaphor, since the jean jacket is actually a thing that's just sucking up everything and digesting it, and occasionally spitting things out. It loves eating those humans. <laughs> Here we go. This would be an opportunity. I'm talking rich and famous for life. There's plenty of videos for flying shit online. Ain't nobody gonna get what we gonna get. What we gonna get? The money shot. What's up? Undeniable proof of aliens on camera. The Oprah shot. You guys gonna tell me what's going on? Hell no. no. Okay, so if you like Nope, then watch Monsters from 2010. A debut feature from director Gareth Edwards, the film follows Andrew and Samantha as they try to emigrate out of Mexico to the United States, risking their lives due to a mysterious alien life force. All I want is to go back to America. I'm just asking you to help me out here. Very difficult journey, very risky, very dangerous. Do you have the money? Do you take the risk? What'd you find, Cortez? So, that synopsis of monsters might sound a bit extraordinary with the concept of aliens terrorising a large patch of Mexico that's on the border of the States. But the idea is that in this imagined reality, that's par for the course. You see, this alien invasion happened a few years after the events of the film, so this is not news to any of the characters. There's even a moment where Andrew, played by Scoo McNary, looks up at a TV screen to see a programme on this phenomena and is incredibly nonplussed. Why is it similar? Well, like Nope, Monsters channels political subtext and metaphor by using the idea of UFOs. Of course, this is a broad generalisation and I could be talking about most films within the sci-fi genre. So to delve into it a little bit more, Monsters looks at the idea of illegal immigration and the general ambivalence many people in the Western world feel towards this issue. Nothing has been solved for this life force that has caused social upheaval in that part of the world, and the political indifference is making matters worse. 
The aesthetic of the aliens is eerily similar in both films. Both sets could be compared to animals of the natural world and there's a beauty to their form. In the finale of both movies, you see close up how detailed and elegant these species are. It's easy to forget their predatory instincts and marvel at their composition. Obviously Nope is a much more of a sci-fi horror hybrid and while there are a few tense moments in Monsters, you feel like this very much belongs to a modern sci-fi film that explores current social issues. So. Both Nope and Monsters have intelligence, grace, and a consistent tone all the way through, which shows the quality of the filmmakers involved. Monsters would be a great companion piece to Jordan Peele's third film. It's been a while since I've seen Monsters. Uh, it's felt a little bit sparse to me, actually, and kind of, like, unsatisfying, but... Yeah, do you think that's because it's quite low budget? Yeah, I, I, I think they have to kind of, which which I, it's not always a negative thing. Yeah. If you can find interesting ways to fill the spaces in the film. That was a film that did feel a bit disjointed because it was it felt like we were in one world one minute and in another world another. Kind of a a romance for some of it, and then also a sci-fi for another part of it. I know what you mean though. They're different and unexpected takes on a kind of a sci-fi uh, film and a sci-fi setup, and I think they are one. I, I, I think both are appear as one thing and then end up being about something completely different, which is quite interesting. Makes it an interesting comparison. Yeah, I, I think I, I know what you're saying about the fact that it's sort of lo- low budget, and yeah, maybe it does move in between kind of there, there is this kind of romantic edge between the two characters. Interestingly, they were Scoo McNary and Whitney Abel were already dating at the time. Oh right. So yeah, there's that kind of really good chemistry because I think they were already a couple, and that was something that. Gareth Edwards was was looking for. Yeah, I think, again, the visual effects should be talked about a little bit, because I think that's where Gareth Edwards, who will go on to direct Star Wars Rogue One, and the Godzilla film, of course, yeah. uh, that's where he started. So it's kind of interesting that he's got this real eye for visual effects. So he's just, he was a visual effects guy first, and then he kind of used, he, he kind of built his film around that, some, some of the ideas he had from working on that. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I think a lot of the film isn't really scripted. I think a lot of it is kind of left to the two lead actors to interpret, or there's stuff that's kind of made up on the go. And I kind of like the idea that Gareth Edwards was bringing sort of the visual effects to it, while the two lead actors, they were bringing the script, they were bringing the story. I thought yeah. that was kind of like a nice, interesting way to make a film, really. Mm. And yeah, part of that kind of low-budget, independent film feel. And of course, you don't get many low-budget, independent films about aliens, about sci-fi films. You don't really, no. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, so, bad to, it's hard to make them look convincing, unless yeah. you're going to, you know, unless you're doing something else with it, like he was in, in Monsters, making something a little bit more intimate. Or channeling another uh, 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 another genre or another idea or anything. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it is interesting we kind of go on this journey. I mean, I guess this is the journey that they go on is something that you know people from Mexico or people from Central America would go on trying to get into the United States illegally, uh, like they are. But obviously, you know, this is kind of uh, exaggerate a little bit more with these these aliens that not many people know about. Uh, and yeah, and actually, I think. There's this really beautiful scene towards the end of the film where you kind of have these two aliens coming together and have this sort of connection. And you realise that maybe in this world, the politicians or, or you know, or the army have kind of misunderstood these uh, these UFOs and, mm. and maybe there is more that can be found out about them to bring harmony and peace. Well, that's interesting. You make me want to watch Monsters again, actually. I might stick it on the, the old watch list at some point. Yeah, it's it's twelve years old now. Wow, twelve years old. Oh, and also also good to watch Scoot McNary, one of my favourite actors. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he is one of those guys that is from the thing, in the thing. Oh, it's that guy from the thing. Yeah, yeah. one of those. A guy from the thing guy. 
Yeah. yeah. So watch Guy from the Thing Guy in Monsters. <laughs> Look at all these people. So if you didn't like this, I'm going to recommend that you watch The Hunter from 2011. If everything in Nope was too disjointed, too loud, or too silly for you, then there are plenty of other films out there about man's conflict with a beast or nature, uh, or both, but you should watch this film that no one's heard of or ever watch (laughs) called The Hunter Um, instead. So it follows the story of Martin, played by Willem Dafoe, who is a mercenary hired by a corporation to hunt the mythical, possibly extinct, Tasmanian tiger in Tasmania, Australia, and to hunt this beast and to get DNA samples for a lucrative new corporate development. But then Martin runs into the wife and family of a missing eco-activist that was also on the trail of the Tasmanian tiger and this previously quite simple job becomes a lot more complicated. You're looking for something most believe is extinct. The rarest, most elusive creature on the planet. What kind of work was your husband doing up there? He was hunting a tiger. You know, they don't exist. My dad saw one last summer. It's a secret. We went missing last summer. Search and rescue was out for two weeks. Not a trace. So the the title, of course, represents two lone hunters in Martin and the tiger itself. And that kind of duality immediately is, is quite different from, from Nope and the setup of Nope, where there's loads of different characters uh, all hunting this one big thing that is very visible, and the tiger in this is not. Man and, and nature aren't opposite in this, but the same. Both Martin and the tiger are solitary and brutalised and starting to kind of die off in a world that doesn't really have a place for them anymore, except for something quite ugly and corporate. The location also couldn't be more different than the wide Californian deserts. This is Tasmania, lush, tropical, mysterious jungles where people and things disappear all the time. The conflict, as well in the film, is not about fame. It's about something even more crass than that. It's a payday to reward a corporation that has no care for the worlds they're destroying. And it's also a secret, silent, covert job. It's not about making a big, loud spectacle, as Nope is all about. But it's no less affecting than Nope. Uh, no less affecting than Nope? That's a, That almost feels like a double negative. Uh, Defoe is at full power here, playing a merc that doesn't really have anything and he's finding kinship in unlikely places. And it's always great to see Sam Neill, who's also in this as a world-weary man, resigned to his own powerlessness. Nope is trying to show us a conflict that's about status, and a conflict that is about the inevitable. You know, it's inevitable that the UFO will be found and exploited, and that everyone will want a piece of that. But in The Hunter, it's a slow build towards a conflict that is beautiful and tragic, and And critically, it could have been avoided if not for man's greed. It's a really lyrical and atmospheric film, a real gem that has been pretty much ignored by everyone, unlike Nope, which everyone is going to go and see. (laughs) Uh, But if Nope and The Hunter do share anything other than the thematic, it's that although there's a goal in both, you don't really know where either is going to end, and that's really special. Yeah, the greatest film you've never seen. It is. It really is one of those. Yeah, absolutely love The Hunter. It's a real gem. The director is someone that's never gone on and 
had done anything else really afterwards other than some British TV. It's just one of these films that just flew under the radar, just never really kind of ticked anyone's boxes enough. And I think probably me and you are the only ones that really fly the flag for it as some kind of like five star film because mostly it seemed to get very good but mostly kind of middling good reviews but i think it's a real uh masterpiece just this for something very simple and melancholy and but but also really really rich with that kind of the endless conflict of uh, of man versus nature which we, we've been talking about this whole podcast yeah i actually didn't really get that the first time i watched it Oh, right. I thought actually this was quite a cool story about someone searching for something that they thought was extinct, but uh, but now is uh, you know is is somewhere in the Tasmanian wilderness. There's something just fascinating about that concept, oh, though, yeah. isn't there? I mean, I mean, more for you. I know it's a little. It's kind of cryptozoology is a kind of a a, a, a secret love of yours, or oh, not so secret now. I've just said it. On yeah, the I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a hobby, but uh, it's something I'm kind of interested in. I think the, the great thing is that I was I was going to say I think that's that's what fascinated me first of all. Honestly, didn't take anything in about you know almost that it's quite existential and yeah mm. this kind of man versus nature idea that we've talked about a little bit with with no but the second time and the third time I watched it I really picked up on those ideas and that subtext and it just makes it even more sort of beautiful and mournful at the same time really it's sad but it's it's really profound in what it's trying to say yeah I hope we've inspired some more people to go and see it. They send someone to replace me. They'll send someone to replace him and they'll keep on sending people until they get what they want. Right, so that's nope done. Would you risk life and limb to photograph the unphotographable or anything like that? How how far would you go? Nope. (laughs) Would you? Nah, I don't think so. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm up for a payout but a very small payout like whenever people are on game shows and it's kind of like do the deal or don't do the deal then I was like just do the deal like I was watching a a video recently where where a YouTuber was giving away a whole island he whittled it down from 200 people to five people and he said well I'll give you 50 grand if you just walk away from the contest right now or you can throw this giant check on the fire everyone threw it on the fire and the final test was like a scavenger hunt it was like just take the 50 grand like, it doesn't matter. So, I mean, I don't know. I suppose... I was not expecting you to go in that direction. Yeah, no, sorry. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe YouTubers are on my mind uh, for some reason. YouTubers could be on your mind. This is interesting. Did you see this got a really bad review from Logan Paul? I did see that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I love going down that, 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 that his Twitter thread where it's clear he just hasn't understood anything that's going on. Like, he sort of says, like, oh, the, the director, why did he just kill himself for the film? Because... He's obsessed with film. That's like of really weird. Of course, wouldn't understand. Of course, he wouldn't understand that. He's a vacuous, stupid human being. <laughs> <laughs> but but he is. But isn't he exactly the kind of person that we're like talking about in this whole thing? Right. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't understand anything other than the money. He has no real passion or or, or joy. He doesn't really give a shit about every anything. So yeah, I mean, he's just looking for a quick paycheck, just like everyone else. Absolutely. Um, before we go, I guess in your further reading around this film, did oh, you? Oh, don't don't keep having a go at me no, for that. I'm not, not right? going to go. I'm not going okay, because this is a question I didn't really understand. But why was it called Nope? Oh well, that's actually quite simple because Jordan Peele said that's the reaction he wanted black people to have to this film. Just if they saw that, they go, Nope, not not dealing with that. Oh wow! Which which I think is is kind of quite funny, really. 
and shows he's still kind of a comedian. And I think it's very effective because I think that is whatever your race I think that is kind of the reaction you have to seeing Jean Jacket I think it's definitely like a nope don't want to deal with that no don't want to go anywhere near that I'm I'm getting out of here absolutely fair enough <laughs> good answer yeah so that's that yeah I'm still not really convinced of putting life and limb uh for, for that big paycheck but I don't know maybe for something smaller and easier than an extraterrestrial like a like a rare stamp or something a stamp collection i'd hunt that i'd, I'd, I'd go i'd go I, I'd, I'd go for a stamp collection that seems a lot safer and that is the the perfect time to end this podcast on that sad depressing form <laughs> stamps are worth quite a lot of money when we stop filming i'll tell you all about stamps Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.